0: What do you do when the people closest to you hurt you? Well, the question really is, what does love require? So far in our series, As I Have Loved You, we've looked at how love accepts, befriends, serves, bears with, and corrects people. And to wrap us up, Eric is gonna talk to us about how love forgives people. After all, it is what love himself did to those that he loved. Welcome to the challenge.
1: I'm gonna disappoint some people now because you have cheered. I, I no longer work in biomedical engineering. I've kind of shifted over to the to the tech industry. I'm a senior product manager in El Segundo, working in the health industry. But yeah, so sorry, BME is great, um, but God has led me a different path. Now you may be asking, did I ever find that young, attractive Christian woman? And I did. Uh, there's gonna be a picture of her right up here. Yeah that is that is Jess. Uh, she couldn't be here tonight but I hope you all meet her someday. Um, we got married almost a, a little over a year ago uh, in the middle of the pandemic. That's her parents' backyard, uh, so that was interesting. But yeah, so um, we got we got married for a lot of reasons. Partly because of the cake, we're very excited about that. Another, um, so there are a lot of reasons why we got married. You know, she really loved Jesus as well. Really wanted to live life with you know the Bible as her guide, just as I did, and a bunch of other things too. We love board games. We love sports. But uh, what I've discovered over this year or so is we've really stayed married because we have made a habit of forgiving each other. We mess up a lot. Uh, We we are not perfect. We love each other very much, but um, we still make mistakes and and wrong each other. So uh, we've just made it a habit to to forgive each other. And that's not a, a verbal exercise of just, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. It's really, you know, trying to forgive as Jesus forgave us, real like biblical forgiveness. Now we're still learning how to do that. We have a a lifetime ahead of us to learn how to do that. But that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. What does biblical forgiveness look like? How did Jesus really forgive us? Because, you know, forgiveness is critical for our relationships to flourish, not just between husband and wife, but but any relationship with parents, right? With roommates, coworkers, any relationship. Because we're all imperfect. We all make mistakes. No matter how much we care about each other and love each other, we're always going to mess up and wrong each other. And so uh, forgiveness. is needed there. I'm sure everyone in this room can think of a relationship whether in your life or someone you've observed who uh, just their relationship deteriorated because there was a lack of forgiveness. You know, something happens and something else and so on and so on, bitterness builds up and things just fall apart. So tonight we're going to take a look at what what really is biblical forgiveness and how does that actually impact our lives. We're finishing up a series tonight on um, John thirteen thirty, uh, based on John 13, 34 and 35, which is up there. And so the uh, words that Jesus gave right before the uh, last line on earth, the new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I love you, you all are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love. For one another. Now, before I go too far into this, I, I want to say one thing. I think, or imagine, there are probably two types of people in this room right now. First type, when I said we're about to talk about forgiveness, someone's mind or someone's picture, you know, face instantly jumped into your mind. And you know exactly who it is that, that you have something against and that you need to forgive. Maybe, maybe multiple people. And so I, I challenge you tonight not to, you know, just Close off and, and just say, "Well, I'm not gonna really deal with that." You know, don't, don't don't have a hard heart to that. I really challenge you to just really follow the example of Jesus, as we're gonna look, you know, extend true forgiveness to that person. Now, the second type of person I'm sure here is thinking, "Well, I'm good. You know, I can put away my notebook. Everyone loves me. I love everyone. I have nothing to worry about here." Well, I challenge you to think if that is really true tonight. So I think what you'll find is uh, real forgiveness, real biblical forgiveness, forgiving as Jesus forgave us, is a pretty high standard. And perhaps uh, the Holy Spirit will bring someone to mind who you really haven't fully forgiven. As you see here in in John thirteen thirty four thirty five, the way Jesus loved is is, is our standard for how we are to love as well. And and Paul picks up on this as well in Ephesians chapter four. Uh, I have that up there as well. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Calls out forgiveness right there. You know, Paul is picking up on what Jesus preached in. In john chapter 13 that his forgiveness is the standard that we need to follow when we too are offering forgiveness to each other and jesus gives us a very very clear picture of what that forgiveness looks like in matthew chapter 18 when he's telling a parable to the disciples so we're going to start off by reading that tonight start off in uh, verse 24 therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now a talent there, we can go back, yeah, a talent in verse uh, 24, that that is an ancient form of, of measuring money. And what that stands for is 20 years of wages. So essentially, what this is saying is that this man owes two hundred thousand years worth of labor to, to the master. Uh, you thought your student loans were bad? There's no way they're bad as two hundred thousand years. It may seem like that, but it's not. This is—it's just unimaginable. Like, how could you possibly? How could you possibly pay this off? Just, what did he do? Like, I wonder. Like, to get into this debt, like, I'm sure there are many bad decisions along the way that rack up. 200,000 years worth of it. Well, in this parable, this is actually symbolic of the problem that we all face as well, and that is our sin. You know, we all owe a debt to God that we can never pay off because we have decided to, to disobey him in some way, and probably in multiple ways. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short in some way against the standard that God set and the standard that God has the right to set. I mean, he has created us. He has created everything. So he he, he can do that. I think a lot of people think when when they think about this, you know, they kind of look on TV and there's a lot of bad things on TV, right? Um, Mass shootings, all these kinds of things. And we say, you know, that's a sinner. I just kind of mess up sometimes. You know, I can't be that bad, right? When you look at the holiness of God, he's perfect. He always does right. He always loves. We do not measure up. It is very clear that there is a, a gap there. You know, we have all turned away from his ways. We all fall fall short. And as you see in verse 25, there is a payment to be made for that. It's a serious matter. Um, The debt that we have incurred must be paid in some way. And Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And not just physically dying, but but spiritually being cut off from God forever. And that is um, heavy, to hear. It is maybe unpleasant to hear, but it is the the truth of our standing and our state. Um, And this is the truth that the, the servant in the parable finds himself up against. This just staggering, staggering debt that he owes. And his reaction is pleading, just please have patience and I'll pay it back. Just please give me a little more time. And I don't know, at first it seems like, oh, he's really trying, he, he's, he's doing the noble thing. He's not just like, oh, I don't know, you know, he's really trying, but think about the statement for a second, have patience for 200,000 years. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's a laughable statement. There's no way he's gonna pay it off. Think of the interest that accrues like a second for that. There's no way he's paying this off. But I think, I think a lot of us approach our sin like this. Well, maybe if I do enough good, it will balance out, or hopefully it will balance out in my favor, right? But the truth is, there's nothing we can do. There's no amount of good we can do to to make up for the sin. You know, you can't go to church more, you can't read your Bible more, can't give to enough charity. We are all, like this man in the parable, just hopelessly in debt. Um, It's not for the mercy of our master. And we see that in the next verse, verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Out of pity for him, it says, not because of his merit, not because of his, his history, anything like that, but only because of the goodness, the kindness, the grace of the master. This man was fully, fully forgiven of the entire debt. Could you imagine just what that would be like? 200,000 years of labor gone. Just just like that. This man's life just changed in an instant. And that is the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. It's amazing. there, There is a debt. You know, it must be paid. We all deserve to die, but Jesus died for us. Jesus Christ came to earth. You know, he lived a holy life, never sinned. And died on the cross for us, taking the penalty for us. And if you you know repent, turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus, that debt too is is gone. The death sentence is gone. Romans 6 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the you know the essence of the gospel, it is also the standard that has been set for us on how we forgive. If we were to forgive just as God in Christ forgave us as Paul commands in Ephesians, it's not about saying the right words. It's not about, you know, behaving some way outwardly. It's really all about canceling debt. That's what it comes down to, canceling the debt of those who owe us. When someone wrongs you, they owe you something. They've they've taken something from you. You know, maybe it's money, but it could also be time, your security, your trust, they've taken something for you from you. You know, they owe you a debt. And how can you pay that back? With money, sure, you know, pay the money back, but you know, how do you pay someone back for damaging your trust? How what does that look like? What is the dollar amount on that? You know, maybe you can be nice to that person, but it's never gonna quite fix things. And that's why you know true forgiveness is not about that. It's really about canceling the debt fully, without them really paying you anything back and and, and then living in such a way as if no debt exists between you. Uh, None of this, well, you better be nice to me from now on, or, oh, you better do my dishes. Like none of that. that, acting like no debt exists at all. You love them, you serve them, you celebrate them, pray for them. No debt exists between you. There's nothing between you because that is exactly what God has done for us. For those of us who are, who are believers, there's nothing between us and God now. It's all forgiven. But we don't do that, do we? We, we tend to struggle with even just the smallest little mistakes that, that come up in life. As Paul says back in Ephesians 4, we grow bitter, uh, we slander people, we develop malice, we hold grudges. And so Jesus doesn't end the parable here with this nice happy ending. He goes on and says this in verse 28. Now, the first thing to observe here is 100 denarii is different than uh, 10,000 talents, but it's it's still a substantial sum. This represents about 20 weeks' worth of wages. Not as much, but 200,000 years. But still quite a bit, right? But it's, not, it's not trivial. The point of this parable is not like belittling wrong that's been done against you. Like, ah, just get over it. Like, Jesus forgave you more. Just forget about it. No, that's not what this is trying to say. Legitimate damage has been done to the to the servant who, who is owed a hundred denarii. He, he's legitimately owed this. The point of this parable is really just to challenge you to think differently about the debts incurred to you because of what God has done with your debt. You see, this man is faced in the exact situation in reverse right now he's the one who is owed he has someone pleading before him and rather than forgive he refuses and puts this man in prison he, he even goes a little further too doesn't he he starts choking and starts trying to to damage him just trying to get payment in some way despite this amazing opportunity the amazing forgiveness he received his character really doesn't change that. he just seeks to harm seeks to get payment so the question this poses is is this, is, is this what you are doing right now? Hopefully you aren't choking someone. Hopefully you're not throwing people in prison. I don't know how you would do that, but you know, we have other, maybe more sophisticated ways. Maybe you're just giving someone the silent treatment. Maybe you're talking bad about someone behind their back with your friends. Maybe anytime someone does good, you instantly remember, ah, yes, but I remember, pull out the calendar, on this date, they did that to me. Look to love them. You know why would you? They don't deserve it. They wronged you. You see, even if verbally you say I forgive you, even if you put on a smile when that person is around, if there is still a debt in your heart, something between you like that, that is not forgiveness. There, there is a debt there, and forgiveness is all about canceling the debt. See, this is this is a heart issue. It is not a verbal issue. It is not a behavioral exercise. It is all about the heart and what is going on in the heart. And so we see how God reacts to that in in the closing of this parable. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave, forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I find in this passage, the the reaction of the servants, the other servants, to be very telling, they are greatly distressed. All right, the, the lack of forgiveness here bothers them. To so the man who's doing the choking, this seems like the right thing to do. Everyone else is like, what is going on? Like We see it so clearly here, yet we don't see it in our own lives. Um, but the master, you can see, he, he's angered. He calls this servant wicked. This is wrong. Not, not for, offering forgiveness is sin in return. Now, now what does verse uh, 34 and 35 mean? At first, it seems kind of scary and jarring, right? So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive. Uh, Does that mean like if I don't forgive and God's just going to take away my forgiveness? Is this the unforgivable sin or anything like that? But that's not quite what this is saying. Rather, this is pointing to the consequences that exist if we do not offer forgiveness in return for what God has done for us. You see, this man's life was completely ruined because he and not forgiving. I mean, he, he, just think of the, think of the, <laughs> the change, the rapid change in his man's life. He was facing two hundred thousand years of debt, couldn't pay it off. Suddenly forgiven, his whole life changed, whole life opened before him, and yet he ends in really the same place, in prison, uh, delivered to the jailers because he couldn't forgive. In return, and what this is showing us is that you know, if we can't forgive, our lives just kind of fall apart, right? Our relationships get all damaged, all messed up. It's just not what God really has for us in life. And and this also points and hints towards kind of the eternal side of this too, the eternal consequences of a lack of forgiveness. The word here, jailers, in the original language actually means torturers. Um, This is an allusion to the, you know, eternal judgment and hell for those who don't accept Jesus's forgiveness. I'm not sure where you stand today you know, maybe you are a believer, Um, you've accepted the free gift of salvation, but you're not really living it out. You're not reciprocating that and and forgiving others around you. Maybe, maybe you're you're not a believer at all and have never accepted the forgiveness of God, but this verse makes it very clear, and this parable makes it very clear. There is torment ahead for you. You know, a lifetime of hiding your face, a lifetime of awkward Thanksgivings, a lifetime of just fractured relationships, and ultimately, if you if you never you know accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers you, an eternity separated from Him. Uh, what you see in this parable and, and what Jesus is showing us here is that forgiveness leads to life. In the eternal sense, you know, when we accept Jesus' forgiveness, we have eternal life, but also just in the day-to-day as we have the relationships that God really has meant for us. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to wrong each other no matter how much you love each other. But there's real life found in forgiveness because those relationships can be saved and continued. The other thing you see is that a lack of forgiveness takes life away. Again, in the eternal sense, if you die without accepting God's forgiveness, um, The wages of that is death, but um, also just in the day-to-day as relationships fall apart. That's not the life that God has for us, but that is the consequence if you don't forgive. You know, it's not not easy to forgive most of the time. It can be very, very difficult, but this is the standard that has been set, and this is what we ought to strive to do because it really matters, and it's really going to change how your life goes so with that being said how do we actually forgive from the heart what does that actually look like again Jesus is our model for that so how, how did he forgive us I think I, I see three kind of principles from this uh, parable it's forgive first forgive fully forgive forever First, fully, and forever. Forgive first. If you notice in the story, the servant, he actually never asks for forgiveness. He pleads, like, please just give me more time, but he never says, like, hey, can you let me off? Like, he, he never really says that. The master offers total forgiveness first. He takes the initiative. And that's exactly what Jesus does with us. We see this in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, meaning sinners, essentially. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Now, this isn't teaching that Jesus's death means everyone goes to heaven. You know, we still have to accept his forgiveness. But what this is saying is that God did not wait for me to realize, oh, I have really messed up to say, okay, send Jesus down there. He he finally realized that, no, God took the initiative. He put his plan for forgiveness into motion first. He forgave first. And so he calls us to do the same thing. Right before the parable we just read in chapter 18, uh, Jesus is talking to the disciples about some of these principles about forgiveness. That's what really spurs on this parable. And he says this in in, in verse 15 of, of Matthew 18. He says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You see there, the initiative is on the person who was wrong. Go and clear it up with, um, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You know We are called to go extend forgiveness. We are called to forgive first. Now, do note that it does say, uh, if he listens. And the, the unfortunate truth is that there is no guarantee that the person you are extending forgiveness to will say sorry. Or, or mean it, at least, um, they may not even think they did anything wrong. And that is just a reality, unfortunately. You know? But we are still called to take the initiative. You, know, you can still offer forgiveness even if that other person doesn't accept that in turn and try to um, reciprocate, right? Because, uh, again, this is all about what Jesus did for us. That's exactly what Jesus did. I mean, Jesus has extended forgiveness to all, but many people don't accept it, but he he still does it anyway, right? You know, we are called to forgive first. Even if they don't say sorry, even if they never say sorry as believers, we should desire reconciliation. And, you know, hopefully that is what happens. That is the ideal outcome. The other person realizes their fault. You make up and and your relationship continues. But, you know, even if they don't, you are still called to offer forgiveness um, because you can have at least peace in your heart knowing that you have done what Jesus did. You have obeyed and followed through on what he, he wants for you. I think this brings up the question, too, what if you're on the other end? What if you're the person who has done the wrong to someone? What are you supposed to do, just kind of sit and wait till they come? No, actually, Matthew 5 talks about how you, too, are to take initiative in uh, reconciling. So if if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Again, initiative. You are called to go seek forgiveness if you realize you have done wrong. This is actually a priority. Even before you continue worshiping at the altar, go. Be reconciled with your brother. That is the priority. So that's the first thing. If we are to forgive as Jesus forgave, we are to forgive first. Taking the initiative to to reconcile with those who have wronged us, and if you're on the other side, to reconcile with those you have wronged. The second thing that Jesus does is he forgives fully. Now, Could you imagine if in the story the the master says, you know what, take 5,000 talents off, only 100,000 years and we'll call it evenness. That helps a lot, thank you. Uh, You know, the emotional kind of punch of the story would be really lost, right? It's like, oh, okay, I just only have 100,000 years and they lived happily ever after. Like, it doesn't quite work, right? And the same is true with us and Jesus. Could you imagine if he says to you, hey, I forgave most of your sins, I mean, horrifying. Even, even if one tiny sin were unforgiven, God is holy, and the wages of that is death. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus forgives fully everything. Every, every bit of wrong you've done, if you turn to Him, it, it is forgiven. Every stray thought, every stupid decision you've made is, is forgiven fully. We see that in, in 1 John chapter 1. Um, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he being Jesus, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Very clear, all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's very clear. You know, we are called to forgive fully. Now... Again, this isn't to belittle wrong that's done against you. Offering full forgiveness may take time. I'm sure there are people in this room who have some very bad things done to them. Uh, it it's a, could be a process. There might be some healing. There probably is some healing that needs to be done. Uh, you may feel like you have fully forgiven and then later realize, oh, I still have some work to do. Uh, and that's okay. You know, We are called to persevere in that and keep at it if we are to forgive like Jesus did, because he forgives fully everything and the last thing is to forgive forever after this little part about in chapter 18 where you know go and go and uh, talk to your brother uh, Peter asks uh, this famous question uh, Lord how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times Jesus said to him I did not say to you seven times but 77 times Um, now where does this seven come from uh, right, it seems like, why is he saying seven? Uh, well, in the Jewish tradition, what the rabbis were teaching at that time was that three Three is the standard for forgiveness. Now, if you think about that for a second, that is still a lot. <laughs> I mean, imagine someone comes and punches you in the face. Uh, hopefully that never happens. But if they did that three times, I think after the first time, I would be tired of that. But three times is a lot of times. And so I don't, I don't know what Peter's motive is here. We, it, we can't really tell, right? The, the, this, um, scripture doesn't tell us. Maybe he's trying to appear super generous, like, oh, seven times. Uh, maybe he's anticipating Jesus says, because he's been with Jesus, right, for years now, and has seen just Jesus forgive him probably more than three times. Um, I I don't know what his motive here is, but, you know, he's kind of trying to say, is it seven? And Jesus says, no, 77. Again, imagine getting punched 77 times in the face. That's a lot. And obviously this is, is hyperbole, right? But the point is, you forgive forever. There is no limit at all. It's a lot more than three. It's a lot more than seven. It's just a staggering, again, when you put it into context of things that have been wrong, done wrong against you, it's staggering to think that every single time you are called to forgive. But again, the point is Jesus is the model on how has Jesus forgiven you every single time for every single wrong. It's a lot of wrongs. It's a lot of times. But Jesus forgives forever. Now, we do need to approach this with wisdom, Again, going back to the example of someone punching you in the face, if every time you invite them over, they they do that, at some point you should probably stop inviting them over. You know, there's some wisdom there. But if you invite them over and they punch you in the face, you know what you're supposed to do. Forgive them. (laughs) There may be an outbreak of violence and challenge after this. Hopefully not. (laughs) This is how Jesus forgives us, though first, please don't, first, fully, and forever. That is what we are called to do. That is the standard because that is how Jesus forgives us. I'll just take a minute and think. What do you think life would look like if just us as a group here committed to do that? To forgive each other first, fully, forever. And if we have done wrong, to seek to reconcile, to own up to that, to clear that up. I think life would look a lot different, wouldn't it? There's a story um, in the scripture that I think highlights kind of the the difference that this makes very well. And it happens in Luke chapter seven. And Jesus is um, eating dinner at at one of the Pharisees house. And uh, this happens to him. Starting in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisees house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table uh, in the Pharisees house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. I'll stop there. This is an emotional scene, right? This woman is just weeping, wiping Jesus's feet with her hair. A little awkward and weird. You can just imagine all the emotions going on, right? But it's very clear. You can see her repentance, right? You can see that she is just at the mercy of the master. She knows it. She's a sinner. It says it right there. And and she's not trying to hide it. She is just at Jesus' feet seeking his Forgiveness. And you can also see kind of the hardness of the Pharisee. His name is Simon, and you can see his response, like this is a sinner. How how dare she do that, right? You can just see his hardness. And so let's take a look at what Jesus says in response to these two different things that are going on. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money letter had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they cannot pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Let's go to the next slide. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So you see what happens here is forgiveness really strengthens the relationship, doesn't it? What Jesus here is saying is that the fact that she was forgiven and realized that and accepted that only increased her love for Jesus. And it's obvious with the actions she does. This is a direct result of the forgiveness she received. The relationship grew grew much stronger. That's exactly what happens in our relationship with God, isn't it? You see, when we realize the depth of our sin, so deep, but then we also realize the depth of his forgiveness, which is even deeper, our love for him just grows. What else can it do? But, you know, the, the opposite is also true, isn't it? You know, it, it, if we don't accept that forgiveness, uh, the love is, is very little, as with Simon. isn't really interested in forgiveness, and he is the one who loves little. See, see, we're all the person who has been forgiven much, if you think about it. You know, we've all done so much wrong in our lives, and and Jesus has forgiven all of that. So our love with Jesus ought to grow and grow and grow because of that. And that is what happens in our relationships, too, with with other people, right? Uh, It's not that you're perfect. It's not that you do, you know good all the time. It's as you keep forgiving each other over and over again that your relationship grows. I mean, there's parents in here, married couples who've been married a long time. Uh, I'm sure you would say that that is true. Uh, But the opposite is true as well. And and the other thing you see here is that it leads to peace. Go in peace. (laughs) There is nothing between this woman and Jesus now, despite all the sin that caused this emotional scene like nothing between them anymore. She was at peace because she had been forgiven. The debt is gone, first fully and forever. And that is the effect that true Christ-like forgiveness has on relationships. And I can say just from personal experience that this is very, very, very true. Um, I'm going to go back to my wife now. We Again, we've been married a little over a year. And there have been a lot of opportunities to forgive. Some have been silly little things. <laughs> One that comes to mind is uh, my wife and I have different sleeping schedules. I usually get up, I usually need about like mm, seven hours or so. She needs more than that. <laughs> Leave it there. Um, so what I'll do in the morning is I'll go you know, out, out into our living room. We live in a small apartment. And I'll, and I'll read my Bible and pray and do my quiet time while, while she's uh, finishing sleeping and then she'll do the same. But um, It's usually dark when I wake up, so I need to Turn on the lights. And we are, again, I'm in tech, so we have an Alexa, which is very fancy. And so I'll tell Alexa every morning, Alexa, turn on the living room light. Alexa, turn on the living room light. And in the back of my head, I'm saying, don't say Alexa, turn on the bedroom light. Because my my wife is sleeping in the bedroom and does not like it when lights turn on when she sleeps. And so, of course, what do I say every now and then? Alexa, turn on the bedroom light. And then I hear a sound from the other room that, and she, she agrees with this, I've ran this by her before I said it, so I will not need to ask forgiveness, but it's the sound of a mummy being resurrected. It's just, it's like, it's just like a sharp inhale of breath, and I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. So I'll go into the bedroom and I'll say, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, please forgive me. she like, why did you do this to me? But she... <laughs> She forgives eventually, I promise. Um, it's silly, right? It's a stupid little thing. But uh, imagine well, over time, we have, a, we have a long way to go in our, in our marriage. I get pretty annoying pretty quick. Um, I'm very grateful for the forgiveness that she offers when I wake her up on accident. But, um, but there, are, uh, there have been some serious ones. As well, um, unfortunately. Uh I've been, I think, pretty open over the years up here about uh just struggling with lust and just uh overcoming an addiction to pornography. And and by the grace of God, he has really you know helped me through that. But uh, there are scars from that, and I and there I still face the temptation just in my mind to, to lust. And, and just as an aside, if if you were hoping that when you get married that all kind of goes away, it doesn't. Um and, and so, I don't remember exactly when, but there was a period in, in our first year of marriage where I was really struggling with lustful thoughts. And, um, you know, the Bible is pretty serious on that one. That is, as Jesus says, that is committing adultery. There's there's no nice way to put it. Um, and so I was really convicted of that, and, and I prayed before God, before that, repented, experienced his forgiveness, got, you know, that peace, and, and just more love for God, but the Holy Spirit really convicted me kind of during that period that I need to tell, ask forgiveness for my wife because I really wronged her in that. Um, and that was, as you can imagine, very difficult, um, but very necessary, I think. And, and so I did. And so I, I brought it up to my wife, and uh, we talked it through, and she offered to me the same forgiveness that, that Jesus offers to me she fully forgave me. We had a great conversation about, you know, we're we're a team. Let's figure out how we can approach this together. She is a very godly woman, and I'm very, very thankful for that. And you know what? This stuff that happens in this story with this with this woman and Jesus happened to me. You know, our love has just grown, and it keeps growing. And you know, we again, it's, it's only been a year, but I love her so much more now than when we started. It's not because we have been perfect. We have not been that sort of stuff destroys relationships but ours has just kind of grown stronger because you know i asked for her forgiveness and she she offered that fully um and there, there's just a piece like before that there was just this restlessness right like oh my gosh like i've done this this one evil thing uh, and there's there's nothing between us in that area because she has forgiven me uh Again, we have a long way to go. We fall short all the time, but I'm, I'm very excited for what is coming in our relationship because uh, I, 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 well, I hope at least that we're going to make it a, a habit to, to, to forgive like this. So this is real. This, this isn't just like some Bible thing. You know, you hear forgiveness all the time in Christian circles. This is real, and this really impacts lives. So I encourage you to you know forgiveness really does lead to life, and a lack of forgiveness takes it away. So, forgive first, forgive fully, and forgive forever. All right, let's pray. God, uh, I'm just very humbled by your forgiveness of me. Uh, I don't even know what to say. I'm just very grateful for it. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would just help us to first realize that in our lives, how much you have forgiven us. And if there are people in this room who have never really experienced that, I pray that they would by your spirit. And God, for for those that have, I pray that you would really just bring to mind areas where we have fallen short on this and help us just to to adhere to your standard. You are a kind, gracious, amazing God. And we are very, very, very grateful uh, for the sacrifice of Jesus. So thank you so much. God, I, 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 I love you so much. Thank you for all you've done in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms where you can also give us a review. We meet in person every Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. in TCC 450 on the campus of the University of Southern California. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you there. Get involved and find out more about us, upcoming events, and weekly small groups on Instagram at USC Challenge and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.